following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week we have joining us Michael Daw here, who is an institutional investor and a consumer analyst. Tom and Michael are going to have some interesting talks this hour, so tune in, and it's over to you, Tom. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Let me start with my uh, Bible reading, which I do when I remember it. Uh, Mark number nine, and he said to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> I like that parenthetical thing. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until he had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. That is from Mark chapter 9. Michael, um, you, uh, as a, an analyst and, and an investor, um, you know, you've been observing. You have to, by the nature of your occupation, um, observe the world around you and figure out themes uh, that are going on. And we, uh, since March, you know, have endured this, this lockdown and, and it's still kind of locked down in a way. Um, we've endured uh, uh, the, the coronavirus. We've in, endured riots, destruction, and, um, one of the uh, trends that uh, we had discussed and that had really started happening prior to the lockdown but has accelerated in a big way 
is this move away from ur- urban centers. And does it have political ramifications? Of course it does. California is set to lose a representative in this next election. You know, that's that's probably going to happen. But, you know, we're not really here to talk about politics. We're really talking more about human behavior. And that is what you are an observer of, is human behavior. That's that's how you do your analysis. It's how you invest uh, for yourself and others. And, you know, just I'm interested in your take on what we've been seeing, what's happened, and where it's going. Well, I think that's a good summation, Tom. The the de-urbanization mega trend, which you and I have spoken about, had roots over the last several years, but nothing like the avalanche we've seen since March. And maybe the most analogous thing we have is GIs after World War II. Maybe it's been that long since we've seen such a immediate transformation of population and needs. So although this trend of leaving big cities for the Sun Belt in general, smaller cities anywhere, although that's been around for a few years, what's happened since March I think is unprecedented. We don't we can't find another example maybe other than the GI Bill because the the movement out of the cities in the 50s and 60s was over a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. This is sort of within 90 days. So from what I've read, there's a socioeconomic um, edge to it that what happened was, you know, as, as I heard in the first month or two, 400,000 really wealthy people left New York City. It was not middle class people. It was not lower middle class. It was the wealthy people who said, I'm out of here. Well, to some extent, they had to because they're – their businesses mandated that they leave. And as of today, New York City offices are 90% empty still today. So we can debate the uh, fairness of work from home because it implies that, A, you have a home, (laughs) which plenty of uh, hardworking Americans don't have. That's right. So it's a very um, privileged point of view to be polite. Yeah. And I think anyone who really pushes that might want to do some introspection about is that consistent with the rest of their views. Because if you work with your hands or if you work in the hospitality business or if you're an entertainer. There ain't no course, such thing as working for yeah, So that and that's a whole nother discussion about self-awareness. If you're really if you're pushing that, does that fit the rest of your philosophical view? Uh, but for those that are fortunate enough to have a home and to be able to work from home. This is uh, in part of the deurbanization trend that is probably the biggest mega trend uh, and certainly the biggest trend of my investing career because um, you're leaving a apartment in a city or a small dwelling and you're moving to a two to 4,000 or more square foot home. You need to fill it. You need to have a home office. And even little, we call these derivative trades, the result of something creates an opportunity somewhere else. For example, if you're in the finance industry, if you're an attorney, if you're in the healthcare industry, and I'm sure there are many others, you can't have a smart 
speaker in your home office listening to your discussions about somebody's medical records. No. You can't be working on a legal document and have some device able to listen to that. Right? right? So not only are you building a home office in some industries, you have to get a new speaker that doesn't allow for that. Right. And there's certain manufacturers that offer that, but there's, for example, uh, if it's a smart speaker that has an assistant, you can't have that in your office. You certainly shouldn't. And in some industries, they're telling you, obviously, you can't at all. Yeah. So there was a home builder we heard about a month ago talking about their floor plan for a typical home in the South. They were less than two years ago versus that same floor plan today. And two years ago, there was no home office. The new floor yeah. plan has two home offices yeah. because they tend to be a husband and a, a married couple. Um, there was no wellness room. And today there's a beautiful upstairs wellness room that actually is built to get the morning sunshine. So there's a very specific place in the home people want it because they tend to work out in the mornings, not always, but that's the tendency yeah. and they want to kind of see the sun right. come up. So these are the circles within circles of the mega trend that have, descended on the country in the last, you know, really just since March. And so if you're a professional investor, then our, my job is to stay agnostic and pay attention to the trends and take us where they will. And these are very powerful trends. So, and it obviously morphs into politics, which I know is something that you're interested in. Well, I'm, I'm really, for purposes of this discussion, interested in the investment theme. So basically, in the de-urbanization trend, who wins who loses? Um, cities lose, to state the obvious. Um, the tragedy of the restaurant scene in oh. New York and Chicago and Los Angeles. So the hospitality industry really loses. It's, uh, I'm a musician in my second life. The, the, the musicians are just getting crushed. And so they lose, and it's very unfortunate because that's not great for the humanities. No, it's horrible. I've had friends who are artists whose their exhibitions have been canceled. And with no, you know, you're going to shut down the biggest cities in the country through next summer. Try selling art in that environment. So. Well, and the, then you compound it also with the riots and, and oh, all, all well, of that. Well, that's, that's got, another. That, that, yeah. But that, that certainly put Kindling on the fire of deurbanization because what a typical citizen was left with was okay, here's the deal. You live on top of each other's, and we're not real sure if that gives you the virus or if it doesn't. You get on public transportation, and we're not sure. We told you that if you touch the rail, you'd get it, but now we're not sure. So they've gotten your head about that. You can't work in your 80-tower office, so you have to stay in an apartment where we're not sure if you're going to get it because we've changed our mind on that multiple times. You can't go out and eat. There's trash piling up in the streets. Who would take that deal? Yeah, and... It, who who would say, yes, that's a great lifestyle for me, my partner, my kids, my elderly parent? So those who are fortunate enough, and plenty are not, were fortunate enough to reject that offer are in record number choosing to reject that. That's not much of a lifestyle. So who are the winners? The Sun Belt, the home furnishings and home improvement industry. We were discussing earlier, Dick's Sporting Goods had the best uh, quarter of their 50-year uh, history. 
They announced that today. And um, it's an owner-operator business, which is our favorite because the, family, the, 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 the business owner still is the largest shareholder and they run the business. So they have emotional skin in the game, financial yeah. skin in the game. They care about their, their – first, they care about their associates. Second, they care about their customers, and they're a steward of the business. Um, and they believe they're in the first inning of this transformation. Like Bernie and Arthur were with Home Depot. Sure. So those are the – obviously, uh, and it's something I don't know a lot about, but obviously cloud computing and tech companies and the stocks are telling you they're the other massive winner. Yeah. Um, and the whole notion of, of a, a more balanced home life. Yeah. Where the idea of going to an office five days a week, even in the Sun Belt, even in an area that is fortunate enough not to have a problem, that appears to be permanent. So yeah. it appears that, in general, most industries are going to a Monday through Thursday work week and that most people who are fortunate enough to have a job like that will be home on Fridays. If you're the CFO or the leader of an organization and you see that you can cut your rent 30 to 70 percent and actually improve your productivity because your associates are happier they're all going to do that so obviously the other potential huge loser are some of those involved in commercial real estate now that depends on the part of the country you're in yeah but in general there will be people will be working from home more and you could argue hopefully the environment is another winner so that sounds like a, a, a pretty good thing. If you don't sacrifice any productivity and the atmosphere is a little cleaner as a result, yeah. that's a pretty good trade-off. I thought I read something just recently, and I, I can't remember where, which sort of invalidates maybe what I'm saying, but that the home office or the home worker productivity was starting to wane a little bit and that employers were reconsidering the platform. Now, that's probably in some industries. I, I, I've tried to keep up on that, and by no means am I an expert, but I think that was coming from zero office time. Yeah. And so that's not the go-forward model. Certainly some employees and in some industries and in some companies have said you can work from home forever, but for the last six months, our policymakers have decided that the right thing to do is to tell people, you can't go to the office at all, and that's not sustainable. So I, I, what it appears to be happening is if you used to work in an office five days a week, in the mid to long term, you'll be doing that two to four days a week. Yeah. And certainly some industries are saying you can permanently work from home because that obviously opens up the labor pool, especially for tech companies. If they can hire coders all over the world, which, yeah. of course, they can. They've been doing that for a long time, Yeah, um, working remotely. But but if it gains critical mass and it's more acceptable, yeah, that's probably a good thing. What does all this kind of mean to us as a society? I, I understand what you're saying about some of the, you know, pluses and minuses of it, but you and I have always done business in cities. I mean, you know, you went to New York a lot over the years and it was, it, you could always rely on it to be a vibrant sort of place. So much of the, what we consider 
our cultural life seems to just be out the window right now. Well, I would answer it this way. I'd answer it the same way we try and answer questions professionally and even in our home lives, whether it's raising kids. Extreme humility in your answer. That's very complicated, and I sure don't know. I wouldn't count New York out. I, I, I know this guy, I, uh, I would never James Altucher, that. just wrote yeah. this article saying it's dead. And Glenn Beck, you know, of course, I don't know what his deal is. But anyway. Well, I think he was specifically saying, um, or someone, but I think it was him, hey, here's the, here's the math. Yeah. Here's the new tax revenue with 30% of the restaurants shuttered with well, X, Y, and Z. And the math is we don't have the resources to fund the infrastructure to have a vibrant growing city. I think it was more of a call to, to arms. That's um, absolutely true. Not only with New York, but Lexington with lots of cities. I mean, where's the money going to come from? Where, where are the tax revenues? If you don't have, well, which speaks to the policy of the lockdown, which the wall street journal ran, um, a really good two-piece uh, essay this week about we can now say and and the washer journals no trump lover so uh, this is not a pro uh, uh conservative or republican or trump conclusion this is the math of what happened to gdp and we all are now very familiar with the death by despair yeah and what happens when you lock people in their homes, when you tell children they can't eat at school or be educated at school, and they're going to stay not necessarily in a home, Tom and Elizabeth, those are the fortunate ones. Of the 56 million kids who weren't sent back to K through 12, a significant percentage of them don't have a home. They don't have a smartphone and Wi-Fi where they can FaceTime family. So that gets back to what we talked about earlier. Anyone who's pushing the lockdown as the best thing should probably uh, take a moment to really reflect on that. And is that consistent with the rest of their values? Have they really thought through the human implication of that? And the answer you get sometimes is, well, if it saves lives, that's the right thing to do. Well, we know that that does not save lives. That's right. Dr. Lenore Katz, who's head of uh, mental health for the Health and Human Services, has all sorts of statistics on what has happened to, which we all know, suicides, child abuse. 99% of child abuse is reported by teachers. They are mandate reporters, and we have removed the most important protection for a child. And we've done that, we've done that for a virus that thankfully we're blessed, thank God, the mortality rate, if you're 55 and younger, is 0.00001, something like that. But our choice was to make children more vulnerable because we're, quote, saving lives. We weren't saving lives. And uh, one of the points I believe was Dr. Katz made, but anyone listening needs to vet whatever I'm saying, but mental health professionals are very clear on this. Physical wounds hopefully heal. Emotional wounds last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I circles back to your question, what are the implications? It feels like to me, just one observer, that the American public has seen through the absurdity of lockdowns, and they will not accept them again. 
that they no longer believe that any policymaker who says, I've looked at all the facts, I've gone through the four steps of problem, solution, generation, we all know what those are. Identify the problem, one. Two, put down alternatives on paper. Three, pick an alternative. Four, evaluate it. The American public, best I can tell, no longer believes that the best we can do, the best policy response we had. It's Michael's hotline. The best policy response we had was a lockdown. Not get into politics, but one of the presidential uh, candidates had said he would reinstitute lockdowns. If the science told him that. Yeah. Okay, that to, is sort of saying that uh, I'll say that the earth is flat if the scientists tell me the earth is flat. We know that the earth isn't flat, so we know scientists aren't going to tell you that. Yeah. The CDC, which is the science we're supposed to be following, has already said we want kids back in school. That's the science. Dr. Fauci's been very clear. Starting in late April, lockdowns are not the preferred solution. And ultimately, we know from Sweden, who got so much false bad press, that Sweden's been completely vindicated. Yeah. Not because I say so, because the stats say so. Yeah. All right. We are going to go to a break, our bottom of the hour break. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. This is now. Kamala Harris. As vice president. Assistant for those who are unemployed. Stop the violence. The latest on all this. Coming up at the top of the hour. Let's break this down. Because this matters. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree with Dupree Financial Group. Many people have 401k and 403b plans for their retirement investment accounts. In certain cases, our firm can help participants in these plans manage their investments. This can be helpful because those retirement plans often offer numerous different mutual funds as investment options, and unless the participant is an investment expert, it can be quite confusing. In this case, we put our investment expertise to work for you, the participant. For a free analysis of your retirement investment accounts, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. Also, be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP or WLAP.com. That's Dupree Financial Group. At 859-233-0400. iHeartRadio. Score your virtual ticket to be a part of music history on the Capital One Fan Wall. An interactive video experience with our superstar lineup. Our 2020 iHeartRadio Music Festival starring BTS, Coldplay, Kane Brown with special guest Khalid, Keith Urban, Migos, Miley Cyrus, Thomas Rhett, Usher, and more. Anything can happen. Ready to win your front row video fan wall access? Go to iHeartRadio.com slash festival. Starting Tuesday, 8, 7 central on WGN America, news has a new primetime home. News Nation, news without opinions or bias, seven nights a week. Find your local channel by going to WGNAmerica.com. 
The KSR Golf Scramble returns to Woodson Bend Resort on September 14th. Join Matt and the KSR crew for a day at the course, green and cards fees, lunch, and more. Limited reserve teams available now at WLAP.com. Presented by Midnight Rooster and A-Vision Glass. As we get back on the road and traffic increases, the Kentucky Office of Highway Safety is reminding you that law enforcement will be out this summer during the Blue Lights Across the Bluegrass campaign. The goal is not to write tickets, but to save lives. So do your part. Make smart choices each and every time you get behind the wheel. Obey the speed limit, drive sober, buckle up, and put your phone down. Spare yourself a ticket and possibly a life. Be safe this summer, Kentucky. Cold front is dropping its way in across the area this afternoon and evening. Ahead of that, it is tropical. Watch out for scattered thunderstorms. It could be a little on the strong side. It's not raining all day by any means. Better weather on Sunday in terms of temperatures, especially into the upper 70s, lower humidity, but late-day thunderstorms are possible. Could be some heavy rain-producing storms into town again Sunday night and Monday. From the WKYT First Alert Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Chris Bailey. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation, this is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. I'm Steve Drury, Senior Pastor of the Trinity Hill United Methodist Church located at the corner of Tate's Creek and Armstrong Mill Roads. I once had someone ask me, do you believe God will give me a second chance? The question surprised me. Yes, I answered, but God's grace doesn't have anything to do with numbers. If we sincerely want forgiveness and seek His love, His mercy and grace are always there for us. God gives second chances, third, fourth, and so on. Those of us who have found forgiveness over and over again know He is more about mercy than judgment. He doesn't give up on us even when we have given up on Him. Many of you listening today find yourself starting over in lots of different ways. Be sure and allow God to give you a new beginning as well. He wants to walk with you through your new beginnings. We would love to have you start all over again with us at Trinity Hill. I hope you will come and worship with us this Sunday. Have you ever wondered if Will Ferrell likes to wear his I Voted sticker? I'll even wear it until the next day. Or what makes Stephanie Rule so passionate about voting? It's about what kind of country, what kind of world do you want to live in? Hi, I'm Holly Fry, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Why I'm Voting. I realized my father had never participated in any election. <laughs> That's how democracy fails. Everyone assuming somebody else. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find Why I'm Voting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We live in uncertain times. It is not uncommon for investors to be fearful about the equity markets and what they may or may not do. At Dupree Financial Group, we are here to act as a sounding board for our clients and prospects as they seek to develop understanding of how to proceed with their investments. Since we are in uncharted waters, our efforts are to educate, guide, and empower our clients. Despite the unique nature of today's investment climate, there are parallels with past markets that can be drawn. We can share some of these ideas with you. For a free analysis of your retirement investment accounts, call the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400. And be sure to listen to the Tom Dupree Show Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's the Prefinancial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. For the second half of the hour, powered by Dupree Financial Group, joining us this week, 
is Michael Dawhare, who is an institutional investor and a consumer analyst. Take it away, Tom. Michael. Uh, yeah, Tom. You know, we were not going to ostensibly discuss politics, which we don't have to, but um, when you talked about the lockdown, uh, the um, the decision came out of a political milieu, so to speak. It 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 was not. It it came from the government, which is by its nature political, and uh, it's the same people that uh, have uh, done some other things that are being investigated. And, uh, you know, when I say the same people, it's the, you know, it's been called the deep state. It's career politicians in Washington. People like that. And, uh, you know, I have heard you talk about, uh, these things in the past. I know you have some opinions. They're not necessarily biased towards any one political party or another, but they are nonetheless opinions. And uh, this is something, because it affects markets, Correct. Uh, it's in your purview, you know, to sure. to see it, look at it, and, and have an opinion about it. And so I'm interested in. Yeah, well, uh, first, we're, we're not any logs, and um, most people uh, come in good faith and first and foremost on the original lockdown, I think Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bricks came in good faith. They didn't have data. We didn't know much then. And in their best judgment, they needed 15 plus 30 more days. After that time, we had data. And so I, th I do think they came in good faith and thought that was the right thing for the 15 plus 30. And that was sort of our generation's call to action. The events that came after the 15 plus 30 are a different story because the rules changed. Originally, we were told bend the curve so we don't overrun hospitals, hospitals and ICU beds in particular, which my understanding, and again, someone's got to fact check me, are already 80% capacity. That's their day in, day out number. And as a society, with obviously a few exceptions and a few densely populated or, or uh, sadly, areas where, where overall health isn't great. There were issues, but the vast majority of the country did respond, and we did bend that curve. Well, so, well you know, we, we had so, this. So, I, yeah, so, the, so once you got past early May, then I think a different agenda, which was clearly not in the best interest of the citizens of this country. And I say that because we know that poverty doesn't lead to better health outcomes. No. Uneducated, starving children don't lead to better health outcomes. And so after the middle of May, by any possible standard, it's not a Democratic issue or Republican issue, it's a human issue. After the middle of May, if you're advocating for lockdowns, you clearly aren't coming in good faith, which then led to your next question about the other things in the deep state. And uh, as market participants, yes, we had to pay careful attention. I did, and so did my peers. If the sitting president of the United States really was a Russian asset, which is what we were told, markets would probably react unfavorably to that yeah. 
if it were true. Uh, and markets kept hitting new all-time highs. Right. Markets are pretty darn good at sniffing stuff out. There can be bubbles and there'll be crashes. That will always happen. But in general, over a year, two years, three years, the markets tend to sniff things out. And so it didn't seem plausible that the sitting president of the United States was a Russian asset, which is what we were told by mainstream media, by members of the Democratic Party, the Democratic leadership. We were told that on a daily basis. And so the first thing I, we did is say, okay, well, if he's, if he's a Russian asset, why would he be producing 13 million barrels a day of crude oil in the United States, which is an existential threat to Russia. Right. Their entire economy is based on and funded by the price of a barrel of oil. That's right. And now the United States is the largest producer on a daily basis of crude. Saudi Arabia can get up to 12 to 13 billion barrels whenever they a million barrels whenever they want to. Russia's at roughly 10 million give or take, but we now produce more than anyone else. Yeah. And by definition, that is an existential threat to Russia. So there didn't seem to be evidence that would support the idea that the sitting president of the United States is a Russian asset, because no. that's what we were told. So, of course, I had to follow it, because if that were really true, yeah. that would have catastrophic implications for our country. But it didn't appear to be true, and then, of course, you know what happened after that with the Mueller investigation and now the Durham investigation. Yeah. What seems to me to be the case, and, and I've observed these things for years and years, is um, the level that, well, what it looks like is a system in its death throes and by that and, and there it's not the only system there, there are several systems in this economy have been threatened and and look like they're it kind of teetering on the precipice but the the, the one that really has been uh, fought the most violently for it, its own life is kind of this inner sanctum of unelected um, apparatchiks in Washington, people who are functionaries, rent seekers, you know, they have these jobs that not sure what the hell they do, but they're there and uh, they survive through all administrations as long as the people in that administration will play ball with the rules of the way Washington is. And, you know, if Trump hadn't come along, we would have invented him. I mean, we would have had, there would have had to be, it's just like when the uh, Jesuits came to the Catholic church, they would have had to invent it because somebody has to come clean up the detritus. Well, in investing and, uh, and obviously in other fact, facets of life, I've heard this expression of nature's pruning. Yeah, creative destruction. And same thing. And I, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, in 2016, uh, the British people voted for Brexit. Six months later, in the United States, uh, Donald Trump won. And it, they're very similar. And Bernie Sanders' support is part of this. 
Uh, yep. In my opinion, I'm just one person. A lot of what Bernie Sanders says is, in my view, correct. Uh, he's right, in my view, about Wall Street. We had and Wall Street occupiers sitting out here in front of Chase Bank for six months. Right. I used to go out and talk to these kids, and I'd say, what are you protesting? And they, they didn't know, but they knew something yes, was wrong. I, that's a perfect summation. They knew something uh, was wrong. So where am I going with that? Bernie and Donald uh, overlap in, not obviously, not all their policies, but in terms of it's the little guy getting and the little person, male and female, not getting treated right. So when Bernie says, why was it such a high priority? Why did Secretary Paulson make brag about 42 trips to China when he was at Goldman Sachs? How many trips to the inner city of Detroit, Chicago, L.A., Atlanta, Dallas? Where was the intensity to help those parts of the world? I, if he at ever any point ever bragged about his devotion to the inner cities of the United States, right. I'd, I'd like to hear it. But he bragged many times about all the trips to China. Why was it so important? Head of Morgan Stanley, same thing. Of course. Why, they all talk about China. Why so important? Which, of course, we're all human beings, and all, all, all humanity is, is, should be cherished. But our question specifically to them is, where was your intensity for your fellow American? Yeah. Clearly, there are pockets of the country, Appalachia, the inner cities, that needed real help. So Bernie uh, has—he's very right when he's, in my opinion, when he says Wall Street's been looting Main Street for decades. And you and I have talked about this. I've seen the executive compensation packages for the senior management of publicly traded companies. And when I tell you a not even executive suite, let's say a assistant controller in stock options can amass tens of millions of stock of stock options. And that's directly at the expense of the of the shareholder. Well, I mean it, it, it's an option of on. course and it's more sinister because in many industries they say we can't run that factory here. We can't afford the labor. I can find the line item on your PL. It's those stock options that go to a tiny subset of executives, and it's meaningful. It's hundreds of millions, easily over a 10 year period, billions. It more than compensates for their inability to open, as they say, because they can't afford the But labor what about in the, the argument, Michael, that? these corporations use that say in order to be competitive we have to hire top management talent and in order to get them we got to give them options it's a bigger bubble than any bubble we've ever seen that's all fake that's what they say and it's a bubble and we've been sold out by the boards because the boards are in their own bubble they're professional board members when you look and read yeah, well that's true they're on two or three boards then you got people and, like uh, BlackRock yeah, and, they won't touch that, it. and and uh, uh, Vanguard right. that own uh, you know twenty percent of the flow right. or, or something. Right. And so, they, I don't. They vote with management all the time. Okay, the, and so let's circle back to in this case Bernie Sanders because he can fix it. I can fix it. We'll never get boards to change because they make a lot of money as board members. I know it. They're working on an incentive just like everybody else, but there's a simple way to change it. It's called the tax code. So I trust our society to be reasonable. 
I trust our society, for example, on the Second Amendment. I can't buy a nuclear weapon. I can't <laughs> buy a bazooka. I have my own point of view about weapons that were designed to slaughter the opposition in battle. I, I'm not all that ginned up that, 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 and corporate America is addressing that. Yeah. How, so point is, I trust our society to say, okay, we have a, we have a tax code now. If you make X, you pay Y. We've been doing that for almost a hundred years. It's reasonable to me to say to a corporation in the tax code over, let's say I'm making up a number. million? Is that a reasonable compensation for a senior manager? Does that seem like enough? I don't know the answer to that. I know, listen, I will say this. Management talent, really good management, Mm -hmm. is hard as hell to come by. It's not not everybody can do it. Right, but if we have the same tax code, that won't matter. Because if everybody's playing by the same rules, there's no incentive for manager A to hop over to, to, to company B. Now, if they want to pay him a salary, he or she he or she a salary, excuse me, fine. But the stock options that rob, it's not about talent. It's that doesn't trickle down to the line worker. You're giving them a call option on the country, company's assets. They at a make price. hundreds of millions in aggregate, and the line worker makes 15 bucks an hour. Yeah. That's where uh, both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump have pretty similar messages. And more importantly, that's why Nike says we can't put the factory in downtown Chicago where we charge these kids 250 bucks for the shoes because we can't afford the labor. Take a look at the manage. Take a look at the management compensation via stock options. Yeah, I got a simple solution. Over some numbers, because it's it's easy for me to say, Tom and Elizabeth, yeah, 50 million dollars to work for a company because I have a slightly different view than you do on management. I run into. They're all, I haven't run into too many bad ones, but I haven't run into too many that are so special that some other human being couldn't do a reasonably similar job. So, and again, I'm picking a number. $50 million seems like a reasonable compensation to work for your career. That seems like a decent number to walk away with if you're not even the CEO. Yeah. There, and so anything over... Pick a reasonable number. We have tax brackets now that we've decided on. Anything over that. You're being a socialist, Michael. We're going to tax. <laughs> Just like you accused me. We're going to tax at 99%. Oh, God. Okay. Or we tax them at 0% uh, if you disperse it to all the employees. That's not socialism. No, I don't know what it is, though. But How is that? How is that? wrong to say <laughs> if you concentrate it in senior management yeah. it's a very high tax yeah. if you spread it around to that to all those associates breaking their backs every yeah. day for this company that's not socialism that's addressing a disgusting disparity in, in compensation in this country yeah. and that speaks to some of the rioting some of the unrest, it, does. it addresses a lot of Bernie Sanders' support. It addresses a lot of Trump's support. That's not socialism. Yeah. What we're saying to the senior executive team is you ain't that special yeah. that you're worth 50 to $250 million. So, so you're saying the thousands of employees well, let me ask you busting this. their butt every day are worth 15 bucks. You're an saying hour. you don't really believe in the market. You're saying that, the, that, that, that it's not the market that's setting uh, the uh, – uh, 
paved grades no, for these people. Tom, it's it, oligopolistic. It, it's not that's it's not complicated. It's the swamp. It's the boards. So it's the boards. It's companies the, it's are just as political it, as it's the lobbyists in DC. It's they're simply doing it because they can. And yeah. let's see how many quit. I'll just use that number again. If instead of making ninety million dollars over a period of time, if you're lucky enough to ascend to the corporate suite, not even CFO CEO. Yeah. Let's see how many quit because they're outraged that they're only going to walk away with. Fifty million dollars. Yeah. Not many are going to walk away. I don't know. It's a good and all. The, it's, but it's no, a good argument. You're never not never. That addresses strip. One thing we've learned a long time ago in business or in any part of life: strip the excuse away. You can't build the factory here, but you can sell the kids the shoes. Yeah. Really? Why can't you build a factory? Because the labor, the line item. That's the only line. That's item? it. Yeah, that's the line item. Really? Let's look at the rest of the line items. What's this? What's this two? billion dollar line item over 10 years oh that's stock options who do those go to yeah uh the executive management team how many are they oh maybe 30 people yeah you mean you have fifty thousand employees and the average salary for the other twenty-nine thousand nine hundred employees is roughly forty to fifty thousand dollars a year plus benefits right but those 30 to 50 people are going to accumulate Hundreds of millions in aggregate to over a billion in stock options, and that m completely solves your labor problem. Right. So it's just a con and a scam, and it's got nothing to do with socialism. It is part of the swamp. Change the tax code. If you spread it out to all the employees, it's a zero tax. But if you concentrate it here over some number, 40, 50, 60 million, you pick it, we're going to tax it at 99%. So watch how fast that changes. It's obvious that our country's gotten pretty swampy. We, we have probably always been that way. I don't know. Well, I know during the time of Andrew Jackson, they fought the, these every iteration of a central bank was a bad thing. Back then they had the bank of the U.S., but um, we haven't talked about the Fed, which we don't have to. But um, the tax code, there's a reason why it gets so big is because so many. Well, let's put it this way. I was on a board one time, pretty high profile board, uh, that was designed to solve a, um, a disease. And, and what I found was there was more money in solving the disease than there was in getting it solved. Right. In other words, there, it was, it was a better gig to work for the cure, which never would come, but you kept getting endless money to work for this cure, if you if it came, everybody'd be out of a job. Correct. That if, yeah. If and, and the same thing with the tax code, if the tax code was was made simple again, and you couldn't take advantage of it, a lot of attorneys and CPAs would be out well, of a job. I, see, I'm I'm not arguing for a simpler tax code. I am saying that the executive compensation in this country, in the largest companies, is a significant contributor to wealth inequality and redistribution the, is the, not the answer. But the hidden part of that is stock options, which are allowed under the tax code to, to be able to be treated a certain way. I mean, what all it is is deferred income. They don't always convert it to stock. They just end up taking a check a lot of times. But anyway. It doesn't matter. 
they have access to that check that the tens of thousands That's, of others don't have access to. I agree to, with you. And you are very aware of the executive compensation disparity in this country versus Japan. It's not even close. Typical CEO in Japan doesn't. Well, I'm, I'm roughly walks away with five to fifteen million at the end of his career, and here they can become billionaires while the line worker. It's not right. Doesn't I get agree with right, you. and why the factory never gets built here. That uh, that I agree with. That's all. I'm not talking about the tax code. I'm talking about changing that that unfair treatment of American workers. You know what? That was a really fast hour. It's great, great, great conversation. We thank. Yeah, we didn't solve anything, but yeah. let's do it again. We 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 thank you for joining us on the Tom Dupree Show. Michael is on his way out the door to his next spot. We hope you'll stay tuned for the next hour on the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us will be Mike Johnson, Adarsh Meshru, and Philip Sexton. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Democrats ready to win. Twenty twenty. This is now on. Joe. Tell you, I'll be damned if I'm going to stand by and lose this country to Donald Trump. Are you ready? Pay close attention. Right here. News Radio 630 WLAP. We live in uncertain times. It is not uncommon for investors to be fearful about the equity markets and what they may or may not do. At Dupree Financial Group, we are here to act as a sounding board for our clients and prospects as they seek to develop understanding of how to proceed with their investments. Since we are in uncharted waters, our efforts are to educate, guide, and empower our clients. Despite the unique nature of today's investment climate, there are parallels with past markets that can be drawn. We can share some of these ideas with you. For a free analysis of your retirement investment accounts, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. And be sure to listen to The Tom Dupree Show, Saturdays from 7 to 9 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400.